Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, 
my visionary friends, and thank you for joining me, Gwilda Wiecka, on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative viewpoints and information with today's leading esoteric and scientific experts to help guide us through challenging and rapidly changing times. You, my thoughtful audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So put on your thinking cap and take notes while we discuss COVID-19 as the first wave becomes a tsunami, conversations with a biomedical scientist. With the onset of warmer weather and the lessening of restrictions, many of us thought we were home free, at least until fall when the cold and flu season would return and possibly the second wave of COVID-19. Yet here we are, July 2020, summer is just getting started, and many states are reporting record-breaking daily new cases. What's going on? Do we need to evolve our understanding of and approach to COVID-19? How will the pandemic ultimately impact the evolution or the continuation of humankind? With us this hour is a gentleman we've had the pleasure of having on the show before, Dr. Dennis Carroll. Dr. Carroll has been kind enough to come back to discuss what to expect from the increase of COVID-19. He has a doctorate in biomedical research with a special focus in tropical infectious diseases from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. He was a research scientist at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory where he studied the molecular mechanics of viral infection. He has over 30 years of leadership experience in global health and development. Dr. Carroll served as the director of the U.S. Agency for International Development's Emerging Threats Division. Dr. Carroll was responsible for providing strategic and operational leadership for the agency's programs addressing new emerging disease threats. He currently heads the Global Virum Project, an international partnership to build the systems and capacities to detect and characterize further viral threats. His website, globalvirumproject.org. Dr. Carroll, on behalf of our listeners and myself, thanks for joining us again on Mission Evolution. Well, it's great to be back. Thank you. Yeah, so nice to hear your voice. And for those of us that, those of you that don't know, we last had Dennis on Mission Evolution April of this year when we did the episode entitled Demystifying COVID-19, Conversations with a Biomedical Scientist. That episode is chock full of great information and is still available for, for free on our archives at missionevolution.org slash show dash archives. Dennis, we're led to believe COVID-19 would act like the flu and go dormant in the winter months, yet here we are with many states reporting record highs. As a biomedical scientist, can you tell us what happened? Well, uh, first off, Wilda, we hoped that the uh, COVID-19 virus would be affected by elevated temperatures, like many respiratory viruses are. Uh, but we also uh, clearly expected that we had to be prepared for the unexpected. Uh, and so while we hoped that this virus might uh, slow down and disappear for the summer months, we also fully understood that there's a real chance that it would not. And lo and behold, here we are in July, and a combination of things have really created this summer um, an unprecedented uh, catastrophe. Uh, and what we know about the virus uh, is it is highly controllable. Now, we've learned that over the last several months. We've seen it around the world uh, where country after country have been able to bring uh, this virus um, under uh, large uh, population control. Uh, but what we've seen in the U.S. is an example of an absolute failure uh, to really uh, sustain the kind of interventions we know that work. And uh, so it's less a surprise about the virus, quite frankly, than it is a surprise about uh, the failure both of national leadership, but also um, people in every community not really abiding by what we know are the effective measures, masks and social distancing and personal hygiene, simple, easy, inexpensive, readily available. And we see um, day after day uh, increased examples of people just not abiding by those basic, simple, core highly effective preventive measures so yeah in, inexpensive easy to do um you know basic responsibility and and when we opened up the economy you know the 
the um, open things up some. It was in hope in salvaging the economy, and yet it looks like everybody else thinks it's you know, vacation time. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Go, go spit on each other. What is going on with our people? Well, uh, I think it first off says that um, uh, collectively we lack the discipline uh, to really be able to respond in a sustained, disciplined manner uh, against this virus. Uh, and it's not as if we're asking people to really um, make great sacrifices, wearing a face mask and social distancing, using common sense. You know, we couldn't, you know, ask for simpler, more benign uh, interventions. And yet, and the, here we are. At the are. same time, at the same time, I'm hearing everything from, um, oh, it's the wise thing to do, to it's a government conspiracy, to it's it's a conspiracy by the uh, um, Muslims to get us to wear a burqa. I mean, it's like <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. understand this craziness. Well, you know, unfortunately, I think it's a reflection of the craziness at the top of uh, government. We've heard sort of a steady drumbeat since January of this year, when the virus began emerging, the messaging coming out of Washington, and in particular the White House, uh, has been uh, one uh, bit of misinformation after another. And for reasons that are really quite difficult to understand, uh, promoting ideas and practices and ultimately politicizing really the life-saving measures that are out there. Right. Um, yeah, and, 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 and of course, right... we, we can't well, go just... into the politics of it here, but but no. let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Is COVID-19 acting like a flu? And if not, what are the differences? Well, it's certainly acting like a respiratory virus. And co this coronavirus and influenzas are both respiratory viruses, which means they transmit through cough and sneezing. Um, they virus rests in our lungs and is expelled when we cough and sneeze. Same thing with an influenza virus. So it's, this is nothing unique or novel uh, in terms of risk that we've faced in the past. And, and yet uh, we call it a novel virus. Why is that? Well, because it is a very specific virus that our bodies have never seen before. Mm, and okay. our, our immune system... Uh, once it becomes exposed to something that's never seen before, it struggles in the beginning uh, and may have serious adverse effects. But over time, it learns how to uh, recognize and respond. In most cases, there's always the exception. And so what we're looking at right now is a period when our bodies have not uh, developed the kind of uh, memory the understanding of how to best uh, activate its own immune system. Uh, and that takes a long time. I mean, quite frankly, it would take two or more years of exposure to this virus before we had enough of the population um, having the kind of natural immunity uh, that would provide the kind of um, protective effect uh, against future um, sort of outbreaks of this virus. So and, and would that would that immunity then, like many, be passed through the breast milk to the child? Well, let me first off say there's a huge caveat to what I just said in terms okay. of um, natural immunity. We don't know whether this virus exposure and survival, those people who've been infected and then um, come out the far side of that, whether they've actually, in fact, acquired natural immunity. Not every single virus uh, really triggers an effective immune response. And there are two other coronaviruses that regularly circulate in our population, uh, mostly during the cold season. And those are viruses responsible for the common cold. And what we do know about those coronaviruses is that once you've been exposed and gotten the common cold, you may have natural immunity for 30 weeks. Um, but that's it. It means that for each cold season, you are, again, just as susceptible to getting a cold from this virus as you were the year before. So this virus may trigger some immunity. We don't know how protective that will be, and we don't know how long it might be. So it's a, at this point, our, really what we have to rely on is 
preventing ourselves from getting affected in the first place. Masks, social distancing, hygiene. So does the, um, we're just about out of time in this segment, but does the, um, like with the common cold, does, once you've had it, even though you have to get an immunity each time, are you stronger in a certain way? Do you, have, do you develop partial immunity or, or anything like that? Well, the common cold, you know, it seems every year, and there are a couple of other viruses that are responsible for the common cold as well, but we don't seem to um, have weaker colds as we go on in life. Once we get hit by the cold, every year it seems just as miserable as the year before. So, uh, no, there doesn't seem to be sort of a diminished uh, impact or severity of the common cold each year. Okay. Well, it is that magic moment. It's time for the commercial break. Dr. Carroll and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. Path Home Shamanic Art School has just launched a new online series of classes, Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow. In these classes, composed and taught by Path Home founder and director Gwilda Wiecka, you'll learn practical shamanic skills to support your daily life, such as how to build a medicine wheel to access the power of the earth, perform a shamanic journey, create sacred space in which to live and work, empower your life with totem animals, elementals, and fairy folk, and learn the art of accurately reading signs and omens. These tried and true skills are the key to living a powerful, productive life. Visit us at findyourpathhome.com to see the ever-growing collection of classes and leading-edge information to support you during these times of uncertainty and transition. All can be found at findyourpathhome.com. Hello again. 
again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What are your concerns about the rapid increase of COVID-19? Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. This in from a member of our audience referencing the episode entitled, Working from Home, Evolving Online Communications. LH shares, I would like to thank you and your guest Milo for pointing out some of the pitfalls of online communication. I'm now working online from home and found the tips most useful. Thank you, LH. It's great to not only point out the challenges, but the advantages of the new landscape we find ourselves in due to COVID-19. Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to Working From Home, Evolving Online Communication, and email us your take on it. With us this hour discussing where COVID-19 may be going is Dennis, Dr. Dennis Carroll. His website, globalvirumproject.org. Um, so we were talking about, you know, how if it's like a lot of the common colds, uh, Dr. Carroll, that this not, we're not going to develop an immunity. We'll get it every year and it'll be just as miserable. And yet this seems to be more deadly than a common cold. Um, how, what are we going to do with that? Well, again, well, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that we will not develop immunity. Right now, we just don't have clear evidence as to whether this virus will trigger an immune response equivalent to what we get with the common cold, another uh, coronavirus uh, consequence, or whether we'll get a much better uh, protective measure. So that is still a story uh, where the evidence is being accumulated, and we'll learn more about it as we go further on. this is one so, time being in mushroom isn't much fun, though, huh? No, it's not at all. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it may seem like the coronavirus has been around a long time now. I mean, this has really been an extraordinary six-month period. Um, but we have to recognize that uh, there's still much to learn about this coronavirus. We've only had it for six months. We're still learning about it. And so there's still great uncertainty. Um, about the issues of natural immunity, um, how long it may last if we do trigger natural immunity, or whether there's no natural immunity um, acquired at all. So it's, it's a story, as I said, still to be told. We hope over the coming months we'll have much clearer insight. There's been some talk of it being a fairly intelligent virus. What can you tell us about that? <laughs> well, you know, it's an intelligent virus in as much as it looks for every opportunity um, to move from one person to another. You know, the, there's a, a certain a, a natural um, selection drive within viruses. And that is the more uh, different species and the more populations uh, they can infect, it increases their own individual survival so that if they were only located within a certain bat population, and that bat population had an extinction event, then that virus would disappear. Viruses are much smarter than that. They try to diversify what's called their host range, how many different species of animals they can infect, and it just increases the opportunity uh, for them to sustain their existence. Uh, And so they're moving into us, Homo sapiens, is just one more example of diversifying their host range. And does that diversification require mutation? No, what it does, we've seen that it jumped rather easily from uh, its previous host, bats, uh, into us. It already had the mutations uh, to be able to do that. And once it had the opportunity to jump into us, uh, it quickly uh, moved through our population. So... Sometimes you'll see that the mutations, the um, genetic uh, makeup that needs to be in place to effectively infect already pre-exists. Sometimes um, it will infect and have a very poor ability to transmit human to human, but uh, over time it will continue to mutate when it's in a individual. And if it mutates and acquires an even more efficient a combination of those genetic uh, properties, then that particular virus that has those uh, specific features to make it more efficient will end up dominating and spread much more rapidly. So it's a very dynamic 
um, process that these viruses have. They're highly mutagenic, highly adaptable, um, and you know, clearly have the ability to uh, move rapidly um, through a population once it acquires efficient transmission capabilities. So is there evidence that the COVID-19 has mutated at this point? Well, we see evidence. It's, first off, it has mutated uh, quite a bit. When we look at um, what we know about the early virus circulating in Wuhan and compare it to different samples around the world, we see that already there's been quite a bit of divergence uh, among the viruses as it's swept around the world. Um, but those mutations, most of those mutations have no significance whatsoever. Uh, it's only when there are mutations in very specific domains uh, within the uh, genes of the uh, virus that it may prove beneficial. With that said, uh, there's new evidence suggesting that that um, position within the genes of the uh, COVID virus that uh, enable it to bind and infect. They're called the spike protein. Uh, we've seen uh, new mutations in there that seem to be very indicative of its ability to uh, infect and transmit with greater efficiency today than it had six months ago. What a delight, right? Oh, yeah. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> you know, the last time we spoke, mostly older people were at risk. Now we're seeing increasing numbers of young people succumbing. What's caused that new trend? Well, there's two different things we're looking at. Uh, what we do know is that people over the age of 60 and people with pre-existing conditions, diabetes, heart conditions, things like that, are much more vulnerable. What we've seen, let's say, since uh, Labor Day, is a huge increase in the percentage of young people who have become infected. Uh, we're only now in the coming weeks, we'll start seeing what that means in terms of the severity of the illness. There's usually a three to four week lag between the initial infection and then how uh, severe the illness will play out. Um, so there's been far fewer older people infected, which suggests that older people are um, abiding by the use of masks and social distancing, um, as we've seen picture after picture of beaches and swimming pools, um, younger people tend to be congregating there and in bars, uh, allowing for a much rapid uh, spread uh, among that age group. Um, so basically, so basically, the virus has changed from a virus into an IQ test. Uh, well, yeah, that's certainly taking advantage of people being stupid. There's no question about that. <laughs> you know, I wanted to clarify something, if you could, for us. Um, there's a lot of uh, conflicting information out there as to, you know, like a recent statement that 99% of the cases are harmless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> so that doesn't add up to me. What, what's your take on that? Well, first off, consider the source of that information. Um, that was uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, who has offered up opinions and observations about this virus, which have um, probably with 100% um, success rate shown himself to be a communicator of false information. Right. Well, uh, obviously not a doctor, but what's your take on it? Well, no, 99% is a ridiculous number. And Tony Fauci um, um, sort of weighed in on that and just, you know, underscored that, People who get infected have a range of severe illness. And what we do see is that among young people, we're seeing elevated, uh, among young healthy people, uh, we're seeing that they have risks of strokes. Um, they have risks of uh, severe prolonged illness with increasing debilitating uh, conditions um, post-survival. Uh, yeah, so, you know, this brings up another really interesting thing. Uh, there's a lot of neurological things showing up uh, exactly that you wouldn't right. really expect. Um, what's causing that? Well, again, this virus, I mean, one of the extraordinary things about this virus is that its uh, clinical impact isn't just um, respiratory uh, distress. We're seeing it causing organ failure. We're seeing it having neurologic implications. We're seeing this issue with stroke. It's affecting the blood clotting ability. Um, of our bodies. And oh, so goodness. it's an incredibly uh, diverse clinical uh, range 
of impacts. And so it's, it's a mistake for anyone just because early on what we saw was the first wave of this virus um, impacting on older populations. As we begin to see it spread widely through the population, uh, we're seeing a broad range of severe clinical manifestations among the very young um, all the way up through the elderly. So everyone should be very, very cautious. This is a deadly virus. Do we have any idea what percentage people that come down with it uh, become terminal? Well, uh, again, when we look at the full range, when we look at the 130,000 people who have died in the United States, um, probably uh, 60 plus percent of those are over the age of 55. But we're also seeing that the other populations in their 20s, 30s and 40s um, are also being uh uh, when we look at intensive care unit, uh, the populations in 2030s and 40s are also being adversely affected. So uh, this is not a you know a benign virus by All any right. stretch of the Well, we're going to have to pick up on more about it on the other side of another quick pause. Dr. Carroll and I will return to our discussion so shortly. You stay right there. This is the Mission Evolution. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xfbn.net. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you considering calling a psychic to read your situation? Then consider David Champion, a psychic medium for more than 20 years with thousands of readings under his belt. David Champion will make you feel comfortable. He has proven to be honest and accurate. He's a straight shooter. There's no guesswork. What he sees is what you get. While he is a medium, most of the calls focus on relationships, not only love, but work school, neighbors, and more. Need help with finding a job and preparing for the interview? Are you dealing with people who are obstacles in your path? For more information, go to davidchampion.com, $1.50 per minute, paid by credit card, with a minimum of 30 minutes. For your reading with David Champion, call one 702 8598 That's one 702 8598 Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. 
Did you know our entire Leading Edge information-packed episode collection is available for listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. Our very special guest this hour is Dr. Dennis Carroll. We're addressing the rising cases of COVID-19. His website, globalvirumproject.org. Dr. Carroll, would you mind um, going into a little bit of the unexpected symptoms that we're seeing, uh, the neurological aspect of COVID? Because we were led to believe, well, if you get the sniffles or if you get a cough or, you know, you get aches or a fever, but now we're looking at a whole whole other range. What, What all is there? Well, you know, again, um, the Centers for Disease Control has a list of uh, symptoms and manifestations that do, uh, as we've said, cover a range of clinical um, uh, sort of symptoms. It's, you know, the behavior and how this virus uh, sort of infects the body. What we are seeing is in autopsies that the virus isn't being limited to infecting uh, the lungs, the respiratory um, tract, that we're finding the virus in organs uh, throughout the body. Uh, So it's clear that its ability to infect and then spread within the body and then really impact on the different organs is really quite uh, extraordinary. And so that, again, as we think about more and more people having exposure, is more opportunity for or this virus to further spread throughout uh, our population in different and unique ways, um, taking a larger and larger toll. So as we talked about neurologic symptoms, um, you know, the most benign one is the loss of um, a sense of smell and sense of taste. I mean, that that's one of the earliest indicators that you may be in. So the, the sense of smell and sense of taste, is that very come? alarmed by that? I'm sorry, we broke up. The sense of smell and sense of taste, um, will they oftentimes show up before even the other symptoms do? Um, they do. Uh, we have lots of examples of where people are, have no indication of, of fever, aches and pains of any kind, but they have a dramatic loss of a sense of smell, sense of taste. Uh, they may then be followed by these other symptoms, but it's the earliest, in many cases, the earliest indication that uh, you are infected uh, by COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we're looking at all these different neurological symptoms and, and organs and everything else being affected, is there um, a likelihood that once a person's come down with it, they may never be the same? Well, we're learning more and more about long-term lingering uh, uh, consequences. Uh, people having long recovery periods uh, where they do not have the same kind of physical stamina um, that they had before, uh, that they continue to experience uh, discomfort, aches and pains for prolonged periods of time. Um, So again, um, this virus acts in a lot of unusual ways, not the least of which there are many people who are infected by this virus who have no telltale symptoms at all. Um, but in many ways, those people are um, the most challenging uh, because they still, even if they are a- what's called asymptomatic, having no symptoms whatsoever, they're able to continue to allow the virus to spread and infect other people. They're highly contagious, and it means that they will put other people at risk, um, further spread the virus, further maintain it in our own ecosystem and create further opportunities for other people to be exposed and adverse effects happen and death may happen. So this is why you really need to wear a mask. It's not just to protect yourself, but it's also you should always assume you may be infected and you may be asymptomatic, but you have the responsibility to protect the people around you. They may be part of your family or strangers, but in all cases, we should always assume Um, even if we feel very healthy, that you could be a silent carrier, but a transmitter of this virus. Uh, It's not just about being ill. It is also about being healthy. So, you know, many people are speaking about when things come back to normal. Can we ever expect to see what we considered normal again? Uh, You know, that's a really tough 
tough question to answer. I think first and foremost, um, the only way we will ever get back to normal, quote unquote, is if we do get a highly effective uh, vaccine, one, and two, that we get very broad uh, acceptance of this vaccine, that people, in fact, are prepared to be vaccinated. And we know that, right, there are two challenges there. We don't know whether the vaccine that will be produced will be highly effective. And we know that with rising tides of anti-vaxxers, that we are very vulnerable to a large segment of the population refusing to get vaccinated, which will mean this virus will be continually spreading in this population, which means it's very unlikely uh, that we'll be able uh, to enjoy um, going to a baseball game, going to a football game, uh, enjoying a crowded beach the way we did in the past, because there will be people continually spreading this virus and infecting and continuing to uh, run the risk of um, creating a sustained uh, pandemic throughout the world. Mm. How far are we, you may not know this, but how far are we from, from coming up with a, um, a reasonable uh, vaccine for this? Well, the first wave of vaccine developments are underway right now. And there's, I mean, you can well imagine, Wilda, that this is an area where um, researchers and scientists around the world are working 24 hours a day trying to move this forward. Uh, and we are seeing great progress in terms of moving vaccines into early human trials right now. Um, both in China and in Europe and the United States, we're seeing uh, early, early indications that there's some uh, potential uh, for success, uh, but still the road towards determining that you have a vaccine. And let's be clear, it's not just about having a vaccine. It's what percentage um, protection and how long does that protective effect last? Those are two critical features. Uh, and you want, first off, if you're really going to break the back of this pandemic, the vaccine's going to have to at least provide what we would call 50 percent protection and that that protection be sustained for multiple years. Uh, and so would, would that, that protection lessen the virus or just lessen your uh, likelihood of catching it? Well, uh, that's the other aspect to this. You know, you, the vaccine can have two effects. It can protect you against infection. Um, or if it doesn't protect you against infection, it will protect you against illness. Uh, the problem with the second is that you may be protected against illness, but it may still allow you to uh, transmit the virus. Yeah, to be a carrier so, then again. That's right. So uh, there's a lot, lot we do not know about uh, what a vaccine will look like when it finally does come along. Um, ideally, what you want is a vaccine that will protect against infection. Um, it will protect against transmission and it will be highly effective, greater than 50 percent. Uh, and it will be um, effective for multiple years, not just for six months or one year. Uh, and then lastly, that the population gets it, that they're willing to find themselves uh, showing up to get the inoculation. Uh, but again, as we know, that's a very controversial area with certain populations that could completely undermine uh, the overall uh, ability to control this virus uh, in future years. Well, you know, we have we've certainly kicked out some uh, viruses using wide, uh, widely accepted and taken vaccines. Um, some of them are just in museums at this point. Uh, I can't think of an example. Uh, it's not smallpox. What is Small, it? Well, smallpox is the one virus that we've uh, eradicated. It's the only example of That's a virus. That's what I thought. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it can be done. And smallpox was nothing to smile at. Right. Uh, but there, the smallpox vaccine was uh, lifelong protection. And it was more than 90% effective. Uh, and so that, and, and the only reservoir, the only host for the smallpox virus were humans. There were no animal hosts for it. So it was a convergence of, you know, 
a number of very important factors, uh, um, how effective it was, how, uh, how its longevity, uh, and the fact that there were no animal reservoirs for smallpox. How many animal reservoirs are there for COVID-19? Do we have any clue? Well, we know that it came, uh, in all likelihood, it came from bats, and which means that uh, COVID-19, that virus is still circulating in bats. Uh, it didn't empty out of bats into us. Uh, <laughs> right. One particular virus made the jump, but the COVID-19, and it's worth noting that there are um, dozens, if not hundreds, of similar viruses circulating in bats, not just COVID-19. We've had SARS as an example of another coronavirus that's very closely related. Uh, and work that I've been involved in over the years, uh, we found dozens of si very similar, genetically similar viruses uh, that are already circulating. So, you know, the other thing we have to remember, COVID-19 is not the only threat that we have to worry about. There are other viruses circulating right now in animal populations um, that, given the opportunity to jump into us, to spill over into us, we'll do so. they will. Well, we'll have to pick up on spillover on the other side of yet another commercial break. Dr. Carroll and I will be back shortly to continue this discussion. Don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Ancients knew what we have forgotten. In order to be empowered by nature, one must be aligned with the way life works. We've become increasingly disconnected from the earth and her cycles to our extreme detriment. The medicine wheel ceremony is an ancient rite practiced by shaman worldwide to recalibrate their people with the powers of the universe. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, at the Galactic Shamanism Retreat this spring equinox, March 18th through the 22nd, in the beautiful Colorado mountains. During this life-changing three-day medicine wheel training, you'll learn to build and maintain your own cross-cultural shamanic medicine wheel to promote manifestation, health, and personal power. Empower yourself with the wisdom of the ancients. Contact Touch In at findyourpathhome.com or call 303-775-3431.
Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think would be of interest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. Speaking of gifted people of service to the world, our guest this hour is Dr. Dennis Carroll. His website, globalvirumproject.org. Dr. Carroll, aside from vaccine, which we don't have yet, what can we as individuals do to increase our immunity to the disease? I mean, isn't there something we can do to support our personal immunity? Uh, well, I, I think what you really want to do is to um, protect yourself from infection. Uh, there's nothing that you can do biologically that will uh, prepare your immune system uh, for, from this virus, except, you know, be healthy, of course. Healthy people have strong immune systems, um, but it's really about uh, protecting yourself. There's no reason to get infected. The only reason you will get infected is because you did not wear a mask, you did not socially distance, and you were not uh, properly uh, sanitizing uh, your hands and touching surfaces. You do those things, and your friends around you do those things. You will not get infected. That's what you want to focus on. I don't think that message can go out strong enough. You know, at, at this point, the U.S. has the dubious honor of being, I think, an epicenter, while our neighboring country, Canada, is looking pretty good. What did, exactly did Canada do differently? Well, what Canada did, first off, was uh, lay out a national response, first and foremost. It wasn't province by province, municipality by municipality, um, making it up on their own. You had national leadership from Ottawa uh, that laid out a clear, uh, well-supported, well-coordinated, and most importantly, well-communicated uh, response. But I, I would also like to highlight, and it's not just Canada that's done better, and it's not, you know, we need to pause for a moment and recognize just how horrific the fact that in the last five months, 130,000 people who were alive, um, you know, on January 1st, are dead today because of this virus in the United States. And I, I really would like to contrast that with two countries in Southeast Asia that combined have half the population of the United States and were in the very first wave. They had no time to prepare whatsoever. Thailand and Vietnam. And together, those two countries have had a total of 58 deaths. Good from, heavens from this virus. The virus is no different in Vietnam. It's no different in Thailand. But what you saw in Thailand and Vietnam was in January, an immediate response that really invoked all of the measures that we're talking about. And today, those countries are largely, um, have this virus completely under control. And consider this, 58 deaths for 170 million people. If you prorated that through the United States, the United States should have fewer than 200 deaths. If we took the same actions at the same time that the Vietnamese government and the Thai government took, instead we have 130,000 deaths and counting. It's absolutely appalling. criminal. It's absolutely criminal. You know, and, and the, the mixed messages and not clear information. And then you add to that, there's a real paranoia out there, it seems like in America particularly, around being controlled. Um, and, and, and to me, I, I don't see how wearing a mask and washing my hands is infringing on my personal rights. But for some reason, people are taking that stance. How can we combat that? Well, let's for a moment think that if you do have a municipal law that says you have to wear a face mask, it does in some way infringe on your personal right. But we also um, take as a matter of course, um, traffic lights, traffic uh, signs. Um, we appreciate the fact that when we go through an intersection, that we don't have to worry about another car zooming through the intersection the, on the other way, because we've accepted the idea that we're safer and better off by abiding by red uh, yellow and green lights by abiding by a stop sign. That infringes on our personal freedom to drive however fast in whatever direction we want. 
Uh, and we think that that's the, that is the norm, and we accept it. Wearing a face mask is absolutely the same. It's a commonsensical approach to protecting your life and the lives around you. Uh, and yes, having to wear something on your face is an adjustment, but so is pulling up to a stop sign at an intersection. And God forbid that we did not have stop signs and um, traffic lights uh, because the death toll from auto wrecks would be astronomical. So there's a time we've learned to accept, yes, a little bit of, um, you know, restraint pays off in the long run. We need to begin looking at masks uh, as the equivalent of a stop sign and appreciate that the benefits of masks are the equivalent of what a stop sign gives us. Lives are saved. Just amazing. You know, how simple is that? And so it, it would appear from what you're saying that really COVID-19 is more controllable uh, by some adjustments in our behavior than a lot of other diseases. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. We should be really thankful um, that, in fact, something as simple as a mask can protect you. I mean, there are many diseases out there, uh, vector-borne diseases, things where mosquitoes that we have an incredibly difficult time controlling. Uh, you know, those are diseases that are far more complicated um, to bring under control. The fact that all we have to do is put a simple mask around our nose and mouth and practice some social distancing. We should be thankful it's that simple and that impactful. Uh, and that people rebel against that is, well, you know, Darwin had a lot to say about that in terms of selection pressures. Um, certain um, people are taken out of the gene pool because they are behaving really stupidly. And that's what will happen to those populations of people who just don't uh, abide. And if it, they don't take, get taken out of the gene pool, their closest friends their parents, their relatives will, because they will be responsible for perpetuating this virus circulating. Even if they don't get sick, they will be transmitting. And there's uh, a responsibility there. We've abandoned our sense of the social contract. We are responsible for our neighbor. Uh, that's such an important point, because I know there's some teenagers now having these parties trying to catch COVID-19. Well, that's all well and good, and they're young, and maybe they'll live through it. But what about their parents? What well, about their grandparents? That's you know, exactly what about right. their community? If they do get infected at those parties, um, the direct beneficiary of that is, quite frankly, no one. Uh, again, as I said, we don't know that being infected provides you with immunity. That's a foolish gamble at this point. But what isn't a gamble is the reality that their parents and their grandparents will be direct victims um, of that infection. Yeah, it's 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 criminal, just criminal. So we have a little bit of time here. What would you like to share with Mission Evolution's worldwide audience about wearing COVID, you know, weathering COVID-19 and hopefully preventing another pandemic in the future? Well, first and foremost, um, you know, it is about being a good citizen. Love your neighbor. That's the simplest thing. And in the case of COVID-19, the best way to demonstrate the love for your neighbor, for your parents, for your siblings, for your children, is to wear a mask. That's the simplest thing. The benefits are phenomenal. And it's a very, very minor um, compromise that you have to make in your lifestyle. So wear a mask and practice social distancing. You know, this is all about common sense. Uh, but the sad thing about common sense is that too frequently it's not all that common. So we have just a tiny bit of time left. Uh, where can people find out about what you're doing with the Global Virum Project? Well, the Global Virum Project is really about all of those future threats. As I said, there are many other coronaviruses, many other influenza viruses circulating in animal populations today. The Global Virum Project is about knowing about those viruses before they come to us. The more we know about them in advance, the better prepared we can be to prevent their spillover. And if they do spill over, we will have had the opportunity to develop vaccines and pharmaceuticals that can be immediately applied beforehand. So it's about changing the paradigm. Stop 
reacting to these threats, begin to be proactive. Go to them before they come to us. Mm, beautiful way of looking at it. And this is a global project, so it's not just within the United States. Yes, it's a global project. It will be essentially developing a global atlas, a global database on every virus circulating in China, in Brazil, in Uganda, in the United States, everywhere, and using that information uh, to really build a far better forward-leaning capability. All of these future threats are preventable. COVID-19, quite frankly, was preventable. preventable. Well, we are out of time. Dr. Carroll, thank you so much for the beautiful work you're doing in the world. Well, thank you, Gwilda. Your show is phenomenal, and I hope everyone um, really listens well to the work that you're doing. Thank you, sir. Hopefully we'll get together again soon. Okay, you take care. You too. And be safe. You too. Our guest this hour has been Dr. Dennis Carroll. Dr. Carroll is a biomedical research scientist and has served as director of the U.S. Agency for International Development Emerging Threats Division. His website, globalvirumproject.org. Remember, our entire information-packed episode collection is available for listener download free of charge. Visit our archives, www.missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing timely information, resources, and support to an evolving world. And get yourself a designer mask. <laughs>